week about the different lenses, the different lens of awareness that one brings to their practice. And we've mostly focused on the narrowing lens, the one that looks more and more microscopically. Yet at times we've spoken about the sense of a panoramic awareness, more all-inclusive awareness. And it might seem confusing because on one hand we're talking about the, the world of objects and, and particles and vibrations that you see coming and going when you look in a narrow way. On the other hand, we talk about the sense of openness, space, sense of silence. You've heard me talk about that a lot. And one might begin to confuse this, rel- this relative world of change and this absolute sense of silence that I've spoken about. Tonight, I want to speak about how observation, careful observation, through this practice of changing experiences can actually lead us to this understanding and awareness of space or silence or openness. And in fact, the very path of this practice leads to this understanding, even though it might appear that we're just getting to know these little experiences a little more closely. So what I'm going to do is, in a sense, describe the path of practice. what actually happens as you do this more and more. And, for example, if you were to stay in practice for some many months, or you may have had glimpses of what I'm speaking about as we sat here, though, during this time. But this might be, in moments, seen beyond what what you may have touched on this retreat. And don't worry about that, because it's, uh, you can actually get it as we speak can actually sense it as I speak, possibly. Anyway, we start in our ordinary, not so ordinary world, extraordinary world with all its beautiful sights and sounds and smells and tastes. And we're asked to come here and begin to narrow our focus. We start with the breath as its primary focus. We're going from taking in all of our senses daily and responding to them and acting, acting on them. And here, in a sense, we make a conscious renunciation of the, our ordinary habits and we turn inward. And so at first, it's as though we have to go on faith that the narrowing of our attention, the refining of our attention, will bring us some happiness that exceeds that which we're getting through our ordinary habits. But most of us come here with some sense that things are not quite right. Something, something unsatisfied in us impels us to, to want to look inward. We have, may have the sense that our outward search for happiness has left us a little bit unsatisfied. So we launch into the practice, and the first thing we notice, our minds are jumping about, as you, as you probably have all seen. They're wandering try to bring it back, it wanders. Pretty soon you begin to see that underlying all of our movement, we find aches and pains and knots and wounds and everything in the body. So we begin to open up to this world of pain and then our psychological pain, all the different habits of thinking and wanting and condemning. And We see our whole story, the story of our life. 
not really any different than it is on the outside. It's just much more loud and clear, living color. You see how much of the time we spend anticipating the next moment, the next breath, the next experience. I realized on a trip that I made once to Central America when I was about 25 years old, I was laying in a hammock one day and I realized that it was probably the first time in my whole life that I wasn't anticipating the next day, that I was actually right where I was. Yet we live most of our lives actually planning the future, anticipating what's to come. So we see the movement of our mind on retreats. So the insight is not the insights that we have in the early part of a retreat aren't so easy sometimes. We're really identified with our bodies. You know, we take this body, we, we seem really separate from each other when we come to the retreat. And my pain, my, my ache, my sadness, my happiness, everything seems very separate. The world appears kind of black and white. I'm over here, you're over there, etc. So we, our, our boundaries seem kind of clearly identified, self and other. So this is the condition that we face. To help unify ourselves, to help quiet, to help calm, to help steady, we use the breath and we use our attention to come into focus. And we practice this factor of mindfulness, or sati, as it's called in Pali, Carol mentioned last night. And in this sati, this bare attention, this what we've described as coming face to face, or awareness to face whatever it is that's happening, we keep returning in again and again and again to the bare actuality of our experience, just the simplicity of what's happening without so much the overlay of all of our commentary about it. We try to get very simple. So we steady our mind. We refine our attention so we can begin to sense things more subtly. We hone our skills, so to speak. So we begin to see what's actually happening beneath the layers that we ordinarily see. We do, and we practice this quality of mindfulness or bare attention in a way where we begin to sink into what we're observing. This whole practice comes out of a a famous sutra or teaching of the Buddha called the Satipatthana Sutra. And some of the commentators in the Buddhist tradition have taken these Pali words, this word in the traditional language, and broken it down, broken its meaning down. And the word Satipatthana, when broken down, an inside joke, <laughs> says something about what this quality of attention is that we bring to our practice. And tra- the words are broken down and I can't really, I can only give you kind of a composite of what this word means. It has something to do with sinking into, sticking to, has something to do with the quality of, of observing power, the extreme observing power. The, when it's developed, this quality springs forth quite naturally to catch whatever it is that arises. It's not something that's an act of will as it develops. It just naturally comes. 
<laughs> Naturally comes, just like that. The <laughs> That's exactly what I meant. So we use this power, this, this quality, to m- narrow our field of attention, and refine our attention. The interesting thing that arises, though, is the, an interesting twist happens in that the, the more narrow we get, the more refined we get, we also begin to feel a greater sense of space. It's as though something opens up internally. Even though we're narrowing our attention, there seems to be within our minds this greater sense of space. We can allow things to come and go a little easier. There is just a sense of space. You might have noticed it, you might not. So we keep narrowing and focusing and we come back again and again. And we start seeing more precisely what's actually happening in the breath, in our walking, what actually happens to sensations. More precisely, more accurately. We start to see for ourselves, not based on something we've read somewhere, even in some sutra that was very inspiring. We see with, with the power of our own attention what's true. And we start to get these intuitive flashes. Wow, things really do change. You know, it sounded good, but I'm actually experiencing it. So we begin to... So we're, we, in a sense, confront our experience. We look at it directly. We don't glance in this practice of mindfulness. We don't kind of look at things sideways. We look right at what's happening with as clear and steady mind as we can at any time. And we try to go into things. So even though there's this quality of, of softness, receptivity, we're also training this quality of penetrating, of what might be called non-superficiality. We go into things. And we try to sustain our attention. We try to keep it focused so that it doesn't just waver, it doesn't just bounce off of what we're observing. We can actually see what's happening, see the behavior when you have a sensation. What happens to it? Do you see it get stronger? Do you see it change into something else? Do you see it disappear? You begin to actually experience these things. So as we get closer to our experience, our bodily experience, our mental experience, so our attention gets more refined, it's as though the mind and body become unified. You know, as you feel the breath, as you're able to connect with it, or the walking, it's as though something becomes unified. And again, that sense of expansion occurs, that sense of greater space. Mind becomes stronger. You may have noticed this that when the combination of, of increased energy, because all the energy that ordinarily goes outward, we turn inward, and we focus on this attention. So increased energy, greater concentration, and more attentiveness, the three of these qualities together create a very strong mind, much stronger than the, the ordinary flickering, wavering mind that we usually come to the retreat with. So with the strong mind, we begin to move beneath the gross level of things, where we see our body, our leg, our feet, arms, all all of our stories. And we begin to have a more subtle sense of what's happening. We begin to feel, rather than leg or foot, we begin to see pulsing, vibrating, 
streaming. You feel the, the heat, the temperature. Beneath the level's concept of body and person, and yet there's still the sense of continuity. It seems as though it's still kind of one package, separate from everything else. It's my package I'm observing, and it's streaming, and it's vibrating, but it still seems rather separate. There seems to be this continuity. But as the body, as we begin to see more subtly, the body begins to dissolve through these vibrations, and we, we feel vibrating. And the boundaries between self, me over here, and other begin to get a little fuzzy, begin to break down. And there tends to be this greater sense of unity, of oneness. Self and other become less distinct. Pretty soon, we begin to actually be able to experience things arising and passing away, arising and passing away, and actually start to notice the discontinuity of our experience, that what we initially took to be solid, even on a vibratory level or continuous, we begin to see that there's an ending, there's a vanishing, there's a disappearing. So our concepts begin to break down. And we begin to perhaps realize that the concepts about things stay the same, but that the underlying reality is in a constant state of flux. So my name stays the same, but the underlying reality clearly is different. The boundaries begin to break down. So in walking, we no longer see walking. We no longer see leg or foot. We begin to feel just the play of the elements, heat and cool and pressure and hardness. recognize that this interplay of elements is no different than that in, in nature, that we are part of this, this natural world. No different, not separate from. So again, our concepts of separateness, as though man against nature, begin to break down in our direct experience of what's happening in the practice. Not only does the world of objects breaks down, but even the sense of the knower of objects, the observer breaks down. We begin to see that, that experiences arise and the knowing of them, and then both disappear. And it begins to become obvious that there is no substantiality to this whole game, that it's just happening quite naturally by itself. Changing, can't hold on to it, and it's just happening according to its own laws and that the process of mind and body is empty, that there's no one who's actually inside there pulling the levers and making it happen. I mean, if, if there was, you could say, me, don't have a pain, mind, don't think. It's just happening, coming and going, objects and the knowing of them, disappearing. So we look very closely at what we're experiencing, mind is, at this point, has become very refined and sharp. And you look at the most subtle object, what looked to be an object, and when you get very close to it, all you find is space. Vanishes. There's just space. Nothing substantial. If you're looking for anything, you just find space. Now, many 
meditators at this point, in fact most to some degree, are deeply affected by this recognition of the emptiness, of the insubstantiality, of the impersonality of this whole process. And there's often this sense of horror maybe immediately at, at first, but then there's a sadness because on some, this is for some, for some, they realize, look at all the effort that I've spent my life putting out to try to prop up, secure, solidify the sense of who I am. Me, mine, my sense of separateness. All of that effort, and I'm seeing that not only is it, does anatta, this sense of emptiness, mean insubstantial, but it means not in control that this process is happening quite naturally by itself. So this is the other, this is one side, the side of this sadness, slight shock. The other side is a great sense of relief. If it's all just happening by itself, I don't need to, I don't need to work so hard. I can relax. Let this show unfold. Be witness to this unfolding, changing drama things arising and passing. People come and go, feelings come and go, sensations come and go. And there's a point where our minds just begin to rest, come to a place of balance and rest, and they're no longer, they're no longer reacting so much and trying to fix this and control this. Begin to rest. There tends to be less identification with the whole flow of experiences. Not busy saying, that's me and mine, my, my pain or my vibration, just coming and going, so less identification, less sense of ownership. We realize that somehow that we're beyond, that somehow bigger than this changing experience. And again, the space in the mind, the sense of space becomes larger, becomes all-encompassing. So we observe this changing world of objects, of form, thoughts and feelings, sensations, and everything, everything outside and inside. And what we discover is space. And we discover that we are space. Part of and including everything. From the third Zen patriarch. The way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. So we look very carefully and we see we come to space. This great sense of space. You can feel it right now. But we might have this realization of this emptiness, of this, of this great space, of this wholeness. But our minds and the way we speak tend to immediately recreate the sense of self and other, the sense of subject and object. So a way to remember, a way to actually practice this sense of this remembering of the nature of space, 
our true nature of space, is to do a slight shift of emphasis. Instead of focusing on objects as outside of yourself, we might focus on the space in which objects appear and in which they arise and pass away. Actually, to focus on awareness itself. Ordinarily, we separate between, again, between subject and object. Somehow I'm over here and you're over there. And we do it within ourselves, too. Somehow I'm up here in the head somewhere, observing the whole rest of this thing. But we begin to see that awareness has no location whatsoever. It's limitless. It's everywhere. You can actually feel it. It has no texture, no form. Here, I've got something else I want to read to you. In its true state, listen to this carefully, mind is naked, immaculate, not made of anything, being of the voidness, clear, vacuous, without duality, transparent, timeless, uncompounded, unimpeded, colorless, not realizable as a separate thing, but as the unity of all things, yet not composed of them, of one taste and transcendent over differentiation. So awareness includes everything. So rather than being self and other, subject and object, we think of awareness as objects arising within the vast, empty space of awareness. So from awareness being opposite that which is being observed, to the sense of experiences arising within the vast space of our own minds. Recognizing that awareness is luminous, containing all things, but not composed of them. For example, are you in this room, or is the room within the space of your own mind? Another thing, another game you might play with yourself. When you go outside some night in a place that has a lot of stars, you might look up and say, are you looking up at the stars that are, that are outside of you? Or are the stars part of the limitless space of your own mind? You can kind of imagine that really part of the space of our own mind. So much of our struggle in practice is this sense of us being over here and things coming to us from the outside and bombarding us and throwing us off. Unwanted thoughts, unwanted sensations, 
Same with our relationships on the outside. People bombarding us as though they come from the outside. This is from Suzuki Roshi. Do not be bothered by anything. It appears as if something comes from outside your mind, but actually it is only the waves of your, of your own mind. And if you're not bothered by the waves, gradually they will become calmer and calmer. Nothing comes from outside your mind. Usually we think of our mind as receiving impressions and experiences from the outside. But that is not true understanding of our mind. The true understanding is that the mind includes everything. When you think something comes from outside your mind, it only means that something appears in your mind. Nothing outside yourself can cause any trouble. You yourself make the waves in your mind. If you leave your mind as it is, it will become calm. This mind is called big mind. So be this mind, pure presence, including everything, but not composed of it, luminous. So expanding one's sense of identity to include everything, being the awareness in which it arises, silent, neutral, non-selective, practice right now being the space. This is particularly useful in our daily life where we're constantly confronted with situations that are difficult or that we don't like, relating to people, to our work, environment. On retreat, confronted with everyone around us and their habits, where they walk, way to eat, all of our different reactions. We have to somehow try to see all these experiences as part of our own mind. Because otherwise we have a kind of adversarial relationship with everything that arises. Always happening to us creates that sense of being a victim. So you might imagine yourself as another way of practicing this. Imagine yourself to be in the center of a mandala. You know what a mandala is? It's kind of a visual representation of, of the universe where there's a perfect center and then everything is symmetrically expanded around it. You might think of, I was just out in the garden and I saw that beautiful sunflower that's That is a perfect example of a mandala, exquisite. You might think of yourself as in the center of a mandala, and everything and everyone in your life is somehow included as part of your own mandala. Everything that shows up, all the difficulties, all the joys, the sorrows, everything is part of your own mandala. If If you treat something in your mandala with aversion and hatred, you suffer. 
if somehow you learn to relate to it, you can find some peace. It may even pass away. You might really wonder how certain people got into your mandala. I often have. (laughs) The other thing you might try is seeing your mind or your whole life as a dreamscape. Everyone who appears in your dream, somehow you have to relate to them. I'm appearing in your dream right now. So you better be nice to me. (laughs) Really, I'm part of the space of your own mind. Your mind perceives me. I'm not separate. The reason this talk and this whole topic has really appealed to me is because many people have done deep meditative practice like what you're doing and they've seen the insubstantiality of things. They've seen how you can't hold on to things. They've seen how things change. But then they immediately go back into their lives and somehow don't make the, the leap that recognizes that if things are empty of any substantiality, empty of any permanence, if, things, if objects and people are empty, that means that everything is interdependent. Emptiness itself means Everything is part of everything. Got a nice example from Thich Nhat Hanh, who's been a very popular uh, person read on this retreat. He said, when the Buddha said everything is empty, we have to ask him, empty of what? And he says, empty of self, a separate self. This means that a sheet of paper cannot exist by itself alone. It can exist only with many other things, like the clouds, the sunshine, the logger, the trees, the forest, everything. This sheet of paper cannot be there all by itself. It must rely on all the other things in order to be there. When we say that you cannot exist by yourself, and I cannot exist by myself, we can only inter-be, and in fact, we inter-R. We inter-R with the clouds, We inter-R with the baker. We inter-R with the trees. We must be careful. If we know that we inter-R with the trees, we know that we have to make an effort to keep the trees alive. In the last five years, we've used our automobiles and our factories so much that we've created acid rain. And acid rain destroyed millions of hectares of forest land. The trees are dying. That is why we have to be careful, because we know that we inter-R with the trees. If we do not live, then very, if they do not live, very soon we will disappear. So the word empty here means empty of something, and that something is a separate self or separate existence. Interdependent. So we, we need to have the sense of space our true nature. And space allows things to reveal their changing, empty nature. 
the more spacious you are when you're observing your, your, your mind and body. The more space in your mind, the more you can allow things to just come and go. The tighter you are, the more the struggle ensues. The, there's another example that Suzuki Roshi uses of how to control a cow. He says the way to control a cow is to give him a big pasture. You try to corral a cow in it, struggles. You give it a big pasture, it comes to rest. So you might think of your mind as a big pasture. You can let the cow of changing experiences and people wander in this vast, empty space. Often in our lives, we are faced with such difficult conditions in our relationships and our job survival issues. And we're so bound up. There's a sense that we can't get any space. We feel just we're spinning in our, in our suffering, in our identification with the story of what's going on and the conditions. But one has to remember that one can always make space in the mind. We have to make space. We have to remember. In a sense, our mind is as small as we make it. We need to make space in our mind for all the thoughts and the images and stories. Space in the body for aches and pains, good feelings. Make space in our hearts for joys, for sorrows. Sense of space. Recognizing that we are beyond all these changes that we go through. Awareness has no limits. And then our happiness isn't dependent on what's happening in any moment. There's pain, there's pleasure. I'm sad, I'm fearful. Coming and going in the vast, empty space of the mind. It's actually more helpful to be identified with the space than with what's happening. A friend of mine died a year ago, a year and a half ago, and near his bed was, there was a translation, some copy of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and inside was this little piece of paper, and written on it was a composite version or some smaller version of the essential ingredients of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And it was found just before he died, and the person who was with him, a good friend of mine, in the few days prior, kept whispering this passage into his ear. And it was kind of a miracle that she just happened to stumble upon it. But what it, what it, what it contains is both a practice for dying, obviously, but also a practice for living and really very useful in terms of our, our meditation that we're doing here right now. And I'd like to read it to you to close this talk. You might want to...
put yourself in, in a meditative posture and close your eyes. Remember the clear light, the pure, clear white light from which everything in the universe comes, to which everything in the universe returns, the original nature of your own mind, the natural state of the universe unmanifest. Let go into the clear light. Trust it. Merge with it. It is your own true nature. It is home. The visions you experience exist within your consciousness. The forms they take are determined by your past attachments, your past desires, your past fears, your past karma, These visions have no reality outside of your consciousness, no matter how frightening some of them may seem. They cannot hurt you. Just watch them pass through your consciousness. They will all pass in time. No need to become involved with them. No need to be attracted to the beautiful vision. No need to be repulsed by the frightening ones. No need to be seduced or excited by the sexual ones. No need to be attached to them at all. Just let them pass. If you become involved in these visions, you may have to wander for a long time confused. Just let them pass through your consciousness like clouds passing through an empty sky. Fundamentally, they have no more reality than this. If you become frightened or confused, you can always call on me. You can call on any luminous beings that you trust for protection and guidance. Remember these teachings. Remember the clear light, the pure, bright, shining white light of your own nature. It is deathless. If you can look into the visions, you can experience and recognize that they are composed of the same pure, clear white light as everything else in the universe you will be liberated. No matter where or how far you wander, the light is only a split second, a half breath away. It is never too late to recognize the clear light. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be liberated.
You can sit for a few minutes. I'll end the sitting by singing a Hindu, a verse from a Hindu song that describes this space I'm talking about. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.